As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, honey, you know your dad's world-famous chili. Yeah, the one that takes 24 hours to make. So I was trying to help out and bring the pot to the table, but it was like super hot. And then I um dropped it. And now the floor looks all, you know, stained with chili. Look, the point is, you guys cool with pizza for dinner? <laughs> Honey? Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The destination is on your left. 18360 Ventura Boulevard. Arrived. Tess and I are in the car. We're on a self-guided tour of Los Angeles, visiting hotspots of Britney history from 2007. Oh, where is it? I can't even, like, see it. Me either. Oh, here's 18360. Oh my god, this is it? Wow, this is it? There's a popular Britney meme that's been around for a while. You can buy it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt. I've been tagged in it a good five dozen times. It reads, if Britney Spears can survive 2007, you can survive today. The joke is, 2007 was a super shitty year for Britney. It's the year she swung an umbrella at a paparazzo's car. The year she and K-Fed finalized their divorce. And it's the year she shaved her head. Okay, yeah, this is it. We just pulled up to the salon where Brittany took the clippers into her own hands. It's a small building behind a strip mall. It's basically hidden behind an old mechanic's place. Esther's haircutting studio. Now it's like pouring rain. Oh my god. Okay, let me hook up the other thing. Go in here. These people are going to think we're absolutely insane. Alright, okay. We are going into the salon. I don't know exactly what we were expecting. I guess we were picturing a salon that was at least visible from the sidewalk. Something Britney Spears, an international celebrity, might have driven past and noticed. Esther's is just a single room in a tan stucco building. We walk up to the salon door, and there's a giant wrought iron gate with keep out signs. It's kind of nerve-wracking. Hi. Hi. Hi, how's it going? Good, you? Good. We're, we're, <laughs> this is, I know it's random, but this is the place where Britney shaved her head, right? Yes. Is there anybody we could talk to about it? We're doing like a podcast about it. No, the owner's not here. Oh, the owner's not here? No. Is she the one who knows about it? She's the one you would have to speak with. Oh, okay. She charges for interviews, so that's, I don't know. You How much does she charge for an interview? I honestly don't know. You okay. would have to call the shop and speak with her. Her name is Esther. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. No, no problem. problem. Thank you. Take care. You heard that correctly. The owner of the salon charges for interviews about Brittany. Paying for interviews? Eh, not our jam. We'll leave that to the tabloids. We scurry back to the car. <laughs> oh my god, she was like, I think she knew exactly what we were doing. Like, there was not a hint of surprise in her voice <laughs> when we walked up with this makeup. Exactly, was like, all right, well, I know what these bitches want. They're going to ask about Britney. Oh my god. I guess we weren't the first randos to show up at Esther's place. And no wonder. This moment is kind of burned into our collective memory. Photos from this night show Brittany in the salon, 
electric shaver in hand as she buzzes off her long brown hair. They're action shots. She's smiling in some of them. In others, she looks forlorn. People talk to Tess and I about Brittany all the time. At parties, meetings, interviews. And one question we get a lot is, didn't she need a conservatorship back then, though? I mean, she did shave her head. And to that, I'm usually like, okay, and it was just a haircut. It's not illegal to shave your head. It's not hurting anyone. Nobody would think twice if a man did it. But this moment, those photos, are still being used as proof that Brittany is permanently damaged. That she shouldn't be in charge of her own life. There's another important part of 2007 for Brittany that doesn't come up in the meme. This year was her last year of freedom before being conserved. In this episode of Toxic, we're parking ourselves in 2007 because there's much more to Brittany in this time than the unflattering tabloid photos would have you believe. Brittany in 2007 could be sweet and giving. She was one of the young moms in the Malibu Starbucks line. She was a surprisingly approachable regular at gay bars in West Hollywood. She could also be vulnerable, maybe a little too vulnerable. This would create the perfect opportunity for someone to step in and gain Britney's trust. Someone who seemed to show up out of nowhere. Someone who would change the course of Britney's life. Yeah, this is my old apartment. This one right here? This one right here. Another stop on our driving tour is Tess's old apartment in West Hollywood. Tess lived here in 2007, and she used to see celebrities come and go from the bars and clubs on her block. So this was my apartment right here where where the fence is. That, where you see that white truck is, that was one of the hottest bars where, like, everyone would go. So one night I was working, it was 4 o'clock in the morning, and my window just brought, like, it was like almost like a flash of lightning, and I looked out... And Brittany was pulling out of this driveway and she was just being, like, chased by so many paparazzi that just, like, lit up, like... Whoa. Yeah. I can totally see it. Yep. Yep. During this time, the nightlife here was explosive. There was always a hot new club opening up with a line of barely-dressed people trying to get inside. I know. I was one of them. Once you got in, these places were small and sweaty. A celeb could be at any of the booths in the corner or dancing in the dark next to you. So it's just like this magical gay night in Hollywood. This is Daniel Musto. He's a celebrity stylist. And in 2007, Daniel had the night every Britney fan dreams of. He got to go clubbing with her. During this time, Britney still seemed to have that fuck it free spirit we saw in Chaotic. But now she was on the rebound from KFED. So she made the most of it by hitting the clubs. What bar were you guys at? Because we want to give people a sense of, like, L.A. in 2007. Yeah, it was called Tiger Heat. And it was, like, the only gay bar that, like, Janet Jackson would go to. All the Britney dancers were regulars there. Then they texted me and said, how is it? We want to come with Britney. And they escorted her upstairs. She came up and treated all the boys with such love. Of course, we had our private area because it would get crazy. But, like, anyone who wanted to give her eye contact, to throw her a peace sign... 
They would. Uh, her dancers call it auditioning. Of course they were auditioning. Britney is worshipped by men in the gay community. If Britney motherfucking Spears was one of the stars who appeared in the dark ether of the dance floor, you had to take your shot. When boys are at a gay bar and they see that Britney's there, they start doing like full choreo around her. And they're like, we have some people auditioning. Meanwhile, I was one of them. But like, she was always down to like do all that. Like she would like push me up against the wall and we'd dance. I actually had a fedora on because every guy in 2006 or seven wore fedoras. And she like kept taking it off my head. And then she left with my hat. <laughs> Best way to lose a hat. Rest in peace, H&M fedora. <laughs> These days, it's pretty hard to get to Britney's inner circle. Her conservator can restrict and monitor who visits Britney and choose her security guards. But in 2007, her entourage was like a carousel of friends, assistants, nannies. People would come in for a few months, then make their exit. And after his night clubbing with Britney, Daniel became one of those people. And that elite crew for a few months. Up close with one of the most famous people in the world. I, by way of friends in the styling world, ended up at Britney's house twice, went to bars with Britney about like two or three times, and all of a sudden was engulfed in her world where she was literally just the exact personality of one of my sweet girlfriends from my country hometown, but, you know, partying and being followed by paparazzi everywhere. Daniel reached out to us, asking if he could tell us about this era of Britney's life. He says he tried to talk to the tabloids in 2007 and tell them nice stories about Britney, but all they ever wanted to hear was dirt. We were excited to get a more intimate look at Britney in this really crucial time in her life. At this point, Britney was recently divorced, a single mom of two, living an hour away from the clubs of West Hollywood in Malibu, California. So we're about to hit the PCH Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah, the PCH runs most of California, right on the water, basically. And this stretch of the PCH is, yeah, Malibu. So the bulk of, like, the city of Malibu is kind of right here on this coastal area. And the houses are kind of, like, in the back. Malibu is somewhere that we're always looking for an excuse to go to. It feels like everyone there cracks some kind of code. While the rest of the dumb world is working boring jobs... Here are the people of Malibu, in the middle of the day, wearing wetsuits and driving convertibles. We turned off the PCH and into the community where Brittany lived in 2007. It's tucked away behind a shopping center with boutiques that sell breezy linen stuff. And of course, a Starbucks. Oh my gosh, yeah, I can't imagine living here. Yeah, in your early 20s, just living in a giant place in Malibu. I mean, the dream. The houses in Malibu are closely guarded. And that's where all the celebs live, where they throw the kind of parties that are worth driving 45 minutes from the city for, if you're lucky enough to be invited. In 2007, Daniel was lucky enough. He'd come here to hang with Brittany. And there was a process he and his friends would go through to meet up with her. We definitely all didn't have her number. One person had her number. We didn't at the time have to go through anyone to get access to her, but she did. There, I guess people had like faked access to her community in Malibu behind Starbucks. So she would have to physically get in her car and come to the gate if she really wanted someone to come 
and give them the high sign and eye contact to say they can come in. But true in true Brittany form, of course, she wanted a coffee. So she would like, she threw Sean Preston in the car, went to Starbucks, met us there, and then we followed her in. Sean Preston, again, is Brittany's oldest son. He was just a baby in 2007. Her other son, Jaden, had been born just a few months prior. Do you remember any of the decorations in her house? Oh, it was the most traditional ever. Literally, my mom and Britney Spears, I think, are the same human. And I remember going in her house and thinking like, wow, this is literally the way my mom dresses. Just super traditional. Daniel says Britney's taste in decor was very 90s mom. Floral fabrics, cream color schemes, Versailles-inspired vibes. But she, she definitely didn't have people around when we'd show up. It was kind of just like her, Sean Preston, the nanny, you know, in her sweet house that was decorated so sweet. This was the side of Brittany the public wasn't seeing. The mom at home with her beach reads and her kids' toys lying around. The thoughtful hostess. We'd be at her house. And she would just make sure anything she was enjoying, whether it was like music, Red Bull conversation, she wanted everyone to be in on it. I was like in her closet, like picking out outfits for her friends because she like, unlike all other celebrities I've worked with, she wanted her like assistant and everyone to just like, where are my clothes? Just go in my closet. Just take it. Like whatever you want is yours. If someone was in the room who was a little off, she'd make sure they were okay, got what they needed whether it was a cocktail or some gumbo, like whatever it is that you need to be on our level. Like she wanted to make sure everyone was that. At this time, Brittany wasn't talking to her family. Like many people in their early 20s do, Brittany seemed to be making her friends her family. Daniel remembers one night in particular where being in Brittany's crew really had its perks. Her manager had showed up the first time I went to her house and he had the final cut of the Blackout album and wanted to play it just for her. And she's like, no. Brought us all outside to the Escalade. He blasted it in the driveway, and we danced the Blackout album, like, into the night in Malibu. Okay. We thought we were jealous of Daniel before for dancing in the club with Britney. But this is another level. Blackout is my favorite Britney album. It's a lot of people's favorite Britney album. It's a lot of people's favorite album. You know what you're in for? The first second of the first track. Give me more. Before there's any music, any baseline, anything, there's one phrase. It's a proclamation. It's an affirmation. It's Britney, bitch. Blackout was Britney's way of reclaiming her crown. People had kind of been writing her off as a has-been. She'd had a few underperforming albums, including a greatest hits at just 22 years old. Her street style of pajama pants and a messy bun made people think she'd given up on superstardom. Then, Britney recorded Blackout, against all odds, seven months pregnant with Paps hounding her and her marriage on the fritz. And she delivered. Danja, her producer, said he'd never seen a work ethic like hers. What makes Blackout so impressive, besides the fact that it's literally bop after bop, is that it feels like Britney is really taking the moment she's living through and channeling it into her art. Freak Show has the dark, edgy vibe of the L.A. club scene. Gimme More feels ripped from the pages of the tabloids. And in Piece of Me, Britney directly addresses the media feeding frenzy around her. Daniel was hanging out with Britney in the months right after she recorded Blackout, a time when she was being pursued daily by dozens of guys with cameras. He was also around in the weeks right before she shaved her head. In fact, 
Brittany's trip to Esther's haircutting studio wasn't a total surprise to Daniel. We were sitting there and I had a shaved head at the time. And I remember this conversation where like she's getting, we were there to put in her hair extensions. That's what my friend was doing for her. And she was just like, you're so lucky. You know, you don't really think at the time. How many times does a girl tell a guy like, you just have to shower, dry off and go out. It felt like that. Like when girls tell you like, you just wear a t-shirt and jeans. I have to put on a dress and heels and all that. And it just felt so casual. And then that happened. And I'm like, you know, her hair to me, even to this day, I probably have 40 friends who have done her hair over the course of 18 years. And she's always looking to do something different. And it is such a sexualized part of her. I think a lot of people with long hair, especially women, can really identify with the impulse to shave your head. I have like a mane of curly red hair and I think about shaving my head all the time. I mean, my hair is how people identify me. It's how they sexualize me. Being able to just shed that and force people to look at me in a whole different light is really appealing. Daniel was supposed to see Brittany the night she ended up at Esther's salon. She didn't show up for a friend's birthday dinner. And then he never saw her again. After she shaved her head, I don't know how they carried it out, but I know that like phones were taken away and like any number that she had after that was like, she probably had to run into someone somewhere and like get it again. I remember being told that because I was like, why can't we see her? And it was like, we just don't, don't have access to her. The head shave incident couldn't have come at a worse time for Brittany's custody battle. As often seems to be the case in nasty divorces, both sides were looking for dirt on the other to use as evidence in a custody hearing. In the early phases of their split, Kevin and Brittany were both often spotted partying. But in the tit-for-tat game that their divorce case became, Brittany was at a disadvantage. Her new ex-husband was the barely relevant artist behind songs like Popozel. Even with masterful songs like Popo Zao to his name, K-Fed was able to fly a little more under the radar. Brittany, meanwhile, was having her every move, her every decision recorded, blasted out to the masses. She was being pursued in car chases by paparazzi who used the photos they got to criticize her driving. Her naughty behavior would be reported by magazines, and then Kevin's lawyer would call in the people from those stories to testify against her. And look, there are examples from this year of Britney acting erratically. Once, she was spotted shopping, wearing only pantyhose and no underwear. Sometimes she would talk in a British accent as the paps surrounded her. Hi, Britney. You look good, Britney. Where's your friend? He's right here. Some outlets speculated that these behaviors were reasons to be concerned about Britney's mental health. A lot of people diagnosed her based on what they saw in the paparazzi footage. We don't know exactly what Britney was going through, medically or mentally, during this really stressful time. And honestly, it's Britney's choice if she ever wants to share that. But what we do know is that Britney's family and manager, Larry Rudolph, saw the head shaving as a cry for help. And their version of help was to push Brittany into rehab. What she needed rehab for isn't clear. Maybe just as a break from the world or all the attention. The night before Brittany went into rehab, Kevin took over temporary custody of the kids. 
A TMZ article reported that he, too, had been part of the group pushing to get Brittany into treatment. After Brittany got out of rehab, Kevin's custody went up from visitation three days a week to 50-50 custody. Although formal interviews with Brittany around this time are rare, there was one platform she used to express herself, her official website, where she would post what she called Brittany's Letters of Truth. In the letter dated May 28, 2007, she addressed what she was going through. Dear fans, recently I was sent to a very humbling place called rehab. I truly hit rock bottom. Till this day, I don't think it was alcohol or depression. I was like a bad kid running around with ADD. I feel like some people in my life made more of some issues than was necessary. I also feel like they knew I was beginning to use my brain for a change and cut some ties. So they wanted to be in more control of my life than me. I think it's actually normal for a young girl to go out after a huge divorce. I'm only human people and I love you for still loving me. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code WELCOME to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code WELCOME at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code WELCOME. here in Las Vegas at the Palms Casino and Resort for the 2007 MTV Video Music Awards. This is Hollywood TV's red carpet coverage from the 2007 VMAs. Celebs like Pam Anderson, Steve-O from Jackass, and Ludacris are there. Britney was the big story of the evening, so the host had the same question for pretty much everyone. What are you guys hoping to see perform tonight? Are you looking forward to Britney doing her big performance? I look forward to Britney. I still love Britney. Performing at the VMAs was nothing new for Britney, but her 2007 show was especially anticipated. She was seven months post-head shave. Britney's current single, Gimme More, was her highest charting song since Baby One More Time. But she wasn't performing much, aside from a handful of sporadic pop-up dates. Britney seemed to be both everywhere and totally elusive. 
Unfortunately, despite all the buildup, nothing about this performance went well for Britney. She knew the dance moves, but unlike previous Britney performances, she didn't seem totally engaged with the choreography. The whole thing was just kind of uncomfortable. Wanted to make a splash. She wanted to show everyone that she could do it. And it, this has just made things worse for Britney. This is an Us Weekly reporter recapping the event on CNN. We actually did a flash poll on usmagazine.com immediately afterward asking, is Britney back? And 81% said no. CNN wasn't the only outlet critiquing Britney's performance. The New York Post's headline the next day was Lard and Clear, a reference to Britney's body in her bra top and hip-hugging underwear. Many reporters wondered if Britney had been drunk or on drugs. Dr. Phil said the performance was like buying tickets to a train wreck. It was a full-out media pile-on. Leave her alone! You're lucky she even performed for you bastards! Leave Britney alone! This is a video called, you guessed it, Leave Britney Alone. In it, a 19-year-old named Chris Crocker wears eyeliner. They have cropped, straightened blonde hair that frames their face. They hold the camera close and look directly into it. It feels almost like a confessional. I know it's hard to see Britney Spears as a human being, but trust me, she is. She's a person. She's like you or I. And I don't know about you, but I know that I would be pretty shaken up right now. Chris Crocker made this video as a response to the negative coverage of Britney's performance. They released it the day after the VMAs. And within 24 hours, Leave Britney Alone had over 2 million views. It was one of the first viral videos. People shared it because they thought it was funny. This kid was extremely emotionally invested in a pop star. But now, it feels like Chris was on the right side of history. They were standing up for Britney in a moment where any sort of public empathy was really lacking. And how fucking dare anyone out there make fun of Britney after all she's been through? She went through a divorce. She had two fucking kids. Her husband turned out to be a user, a cheater, and now she's going through a custody battle. The VMAs were in early September 2007. A week later, Britney's divorce attorney walked away from the case. The day after that, the court ruled that she would be subject to random drug testing. By October 1st, Britney had lost all custody of her kids. And it's worth noting, Britney was still estranged from her parents at this time. Reports said she blamed her mom, Lynn, for taking Kevin's side. The day after Britney lost custody of her kids, a radio DJ in Detroit offered a $1,000 prize for anyone who correctly guessed when Britney would commit suicide. The station made him stop the contest the next day, but still, this is the kind of sentiment about Britney that was pretty common at the time. Chris Crocker says cruel jokes like this are what directly inspired their video. We actually interviewed Chris for the show. They are a delight and a really compelling person. We had a great conversation with them about the backlash to leave Britney alone and their thoughts about Britney all these years later. That's available as a bonus episode of this podcast, so go check it out. But right now, we're going to hear from someone who spent time with Britney 
during those last few months of freedom before she was conserved. My name is Leah Fran, and I know Britney Spears because I worked for her. <laughs> I was her nanny in 2007. At just 19 years old, Leah was hired as a live-in nanny for one of the world's biggest stars. According to Leah, in the later part of 2007, Brittany had visitation with her boys about every other weekend. When the kids weren't there, Leah helped Brittany with stuff around the house. But mostly, Leah says, they just hung out, went to Starbucks, watched movies. We would have headstand, handstand contests, just having fun, dancing around, listening to music. You know, when you drink your drink with whipped cream and you let the whipped cream sit on your top lip and make a mustache, like funny, normal, goofy things like that. Leah told us that even in this tumultuous period for Brittany, there were happy times. But Leah says Brittany was happiest when she had her boys with her. I want to say that she was an amazing mom, very loving, very hands-on when she obviously had them. She loves her boys. Even when they weren't there, she just totally acted like a mom still. Like, it was sad, like almost like she wanted to like cook breakfast for them, but they weren't there. Were you the only person living there? I was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I I mean, other than Sam overextending his welcome and stay, Sam left feet. Like, yeah, I was technically the only person hired to like be working there and and live there. Sam Lutfi. We talked about Sam Lutfi in episode one. He's the guy who Britney's parents didn't like. The guy who called himself Britney's manager. And we believe, based on court documents and testimony, He's one of the main reasons why Brittany wound up in a conservatorship. Brittany met Lutfi earlier that year, the same way she met Daniel Musto and Kayfed at a club. Brittany tried to take Lutfi's hat, and he wouldn't give it up. Soon after that, they appeared pretty much inseparable. Leah says that while she lived with Brittany, Lutfi was around the Summit House almost every day. This is supported in court documents. And Leah says that even though he didn't seem to have a romantic interest in Brittany, he just kind of showed up and was creepily overextending his stay. And when I say creepily overextending his stay, there was this room upstairs in our house. And, I, you know, it was just one of those, like, extra rooms that is, it was like a study or something. Uh, there was, like, library in there and piano and a really uncomfortable couch <laughs> that I believe was probably just for a, like, show. Um, and I just remember Sam lying down with the lights fully on. I believe his shoes were still on and his arms crossed. And he was just lying there and said he's going to stay over. And I remember us whispering. We're like, what is he doing? Why is he still here? And we both had no idea what he was doing. According to Lutfi, after a few months of hanging out with Brittany, he became her manager. He said in court documents that he got this role kind of by default. He was at a meeting with Brittany and some record execs who weren't comfortable discussing business unless Lutfi was a part of Brittany's team. So Brittany was kind of like, okay, he's my manager then. From what we could find, Lutfi didn't have any previous experience in entertainment management. Before he came into Brittany's life, Lutfi was a self-described businessman and at one point 
called himself a counselor for wayward teens. And we know that prior to meeting Brittany, Lutby had restraining orders issued against him from three different people. Lutby seemed to have a hand in all aspects of Brittany's life, both professionally and personally. Here he is with Brittany on Ryan Seacrest's morning show to promote Blackout in October 2007. All right, it's 1027, KISS FM, 916 in the morning. Hello? Hi. Good morning, Brittany. Ryan Seacrest asks Brittany what she's doing to promote the new album, and Lutfi answers for her. This is it. This is it. This whole interview is kind of a mess. Ryan Seacrest apologizes for waking Brittany up. He seems to be stretching to keep Brittany and Lutfi on the line. Eventually, the conversation turns to Brittany's parenting. Do you feel like you're doing everything you can for your kids? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. And how often will you see them? Oh, we, we aren't. Um, that's like all in the court, like stuff like that. My lawyers do all that stuff. Let's talk about fun stuff. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Sam, what do you want to talk Where's about? Lane? By the way, during this interview, Lutfi is standing over Brittany while she's in bed. You know... Normal manager stuff. And though, in our opinion, Lutfi comes off as extremely unprofessional in this interview, or at least overly casual, he also has a certain charm. He seems to be one of those people who knows how to get his way. Maybe this is why the New Yorker recently called Lutfi, quote, a Hollywood operator with a knack for insinuating himself into the lives of turbulent female stars, end quote. People like Amanda Bynes and Courtney Love who ultimately filed a restraining order against him. We also know how Lutfi operates because we've had our own personal interactions with him. He first reached out in 2019, after we released that bombshell Britney's Graham episode. He gave us props for exposing the truth. We didn't even respond for a year because we were a little freaked out, considering what we knew about him. But eventually, we reached out to see if he wanted to come on Mike for this podcast and tell his side of the story. At first, he acted like he was willing to. But then he kept dodging our requests to set a time to record. And this set off a sort of cat and mouse game with Lutfi. He would give us what seemed like good tips, but would evade follow-up questions. Some days he was complimentary. Other times he was antagonistic. And the thing is, as frustrating as we personally find Lutfi, he knows things. He was there with Brittany when all the shit went down. And he seemed to be calling the shots. He would text paparazzi with Brittany's schedule and use the rationale that it was like having free bodyguards. According to his own statements in court documents, he at one point hired drug-sniffing dogs to search Brittany's house. That's partly why we were so interested in talking to Brittany's nanny, Leah. Because she had witnessed Lutfi and Brittany's dynamic firsthand. When we were fact-checking this episode, we reached out to Lutfi for a response to what Leah had said about him. That he was creepily overextending his stay in Brittany's home. Lutfi got back to us in under 10 minutes. And his response really threw us for a loop. We were in the studio that day, so we decided to record what went down. So we, well, we we just sent like emailed, a a routine kind yeah. of like request for comment to Sam Luffy. And we were saying, hey, we have all the stuff that Leah, who said she was the nanny who lived with Brittany for quite a few months at the end of 2007, we said, hey, what's your response to this, this, and this that Leah said? And Luffy like went on a 
tirade. He freaked out and he sent back this long email about how Leah was only hired for two days. And now he's texting me and he's talking about how Leah basically made up the whole thing that she worked with Brittany for months. And we don't, we have not been able to confirm her actual timeline. So no. I'm worried that it's true. Suddenly, we felt kind of whiplashed between two conflicting stories. To be clear, Leah did at one point work for Brittany. Even Lutfi doesn't dispute that. But now, the details of her employment felt very much in question. When we talked to her, Leah told us she had worked as Brittany's nanny for months. She couldn't remember the specific dates, though. After Lutfi's message, we dug deeper. We found paparazzi photos of Brittany and Leah together but only for a few consecutive days. So we called Leah and asked her again how long she'd worked for Brittany. She got pretty defensive. She still couldn't give us exact dates, but she maintained she'd worked there for more than a week. This was a blow, to be honest. We'd talked to Leah for over a year before she agreed to do an interview. We built up a relationship, and suddenly it was like, wait, which of her details can we trust? Leah had seemed so genuine in the way she talked about Brittany, and in no way like someone just looking for the limelight. Here's us again, in studio, hashing everything out. We don't know who out of these people, like, Lutfi seems like he is telling the truth. He just said, he just texted me, on my mother's life, she's lying to you. And we all know he's a mama's boy. That's true. But I also don't feel like I can ever completely trust anything Lutfi says. Of course. There's just too many people that have warned me personally about him that we know besides Brittany have restraining orders against him. I don't know. I'm just... Well, and then it every time this happens, it, it really, I feel like, gives me some perspective on on what, what Brittany went through yeah. or is still going through. We're just trying to tell this story, and we're constantly, like, in this funhouse trick of mirrors, like, oh, that's reality? Nope, just kidding. It's this one. Nope, just kidding. It's that one. Like... Of course. I mean, I, I, it makes even more sense to me that Brittany was manipulated in the way that she is because it seems like manipulative people are really, really attracted to her. Mm-hmm. And also, he's just like this random dude. Like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you even in this? This situation with Leah and Lutfi matters to us because it seems like it's always like this with Lutfi. Someone on the other side saying the exact opposite of whatever Lutfi's saying. Maybe the most important example of this? Brittany's parents. Lynn Spears writes in her memoir that Lutfi was a gatekeeper to Brittany in the months leading up to her conservatorship, that he was trying to keep Brittany's family out. But Lutfi claims in court documents that he was just trying to help Brittany and mend Brittany's relationship with her parents. He's also told the court that he views Jamie Spears as a really controlling, unwelcome figure in Brittany's life a dynamic that would become very clear in the days leading up to Brittany being conserved. We definitely agree with Lutfi's characterization of Jamie. But what else should we believe? Who can we trust? To close out today, we want to share one more section of that letter you heard from earlier in this episode. Brittany's Letter of Truth. She wrote it in the months right before she met Sam Lutfi. Reading this letter, it's clear Brittany is going through a lot. She comes down on herself for being too open. She seems a little lost, lonely. 
this letter is not to place blame on anyone, although I do see the world with a completely different set of eyes now. I think the whole problem was letting too many people into my life. You never know another person's intentions or what another person wants. I just want the same things in life that you want, and that is to be happy. It's just so weird because everyone has their own perception of me and how they think I really am. It is so weird how stories are told. There's your side, my side, and the truth. Somebody has to figure it out. Next time on Toxic, we try, Britt. We try. Don't forget, we had an amazing conversation with Chris Crocker, creator of Leave Britney Alone. You can hear it now, only in Stitcher Premium. We talked with Chris all about what it was like to defend Britney back in the day and the backlash they faced. If I'm going through this on this tiny of a scale with this sort of 15 minutes of fame, whatever you want to call it, or infamy rather, I can't imagine for decades being seen as not a person. I can't imagine how she even trusts anybody. To listen to this exclusive bonus episode, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash toxic, select a monthly plan, and use code TOXIC for a month of listening free. You can also hear every episode of our show without ads. That's stitcherpremium.com slash toxic, and use the code TOXIC for a month of free listening. Toxic was made with lots of help from our production team at Witness Docs. Senior producer, Abigail Keel. Producer, Kevin K. Tidmarsh. Story editor, Gianna Palmer. Executive producer, Camille Stanley. And head of content, Peter Clowney. Casey Holford is the technical director for Witness Docs. He mixed this episode and composed the original music for Toxic. Zoe Schwab is our researcher extraordinaire. Fact-checking by Anakwa Juamena. And super special thank you to actress Susan Burke for reading Britney's Letter of Truth. Toxic is written and hosted by me, Tess Barker. And me, Babs Gray. You can find a transcript for this episode and for all our episodes on our website, witnesspodcasts.com. Got a tip? Reach out to the show at britneypod at stitcher.com and follow us on social at Britney's Graham. We know you don't want to miss a single episode of this show, so make sure you subscribe to Toxic, the Britney Spears story in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. That way, new episodes will pop right up. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Leave us a review. We love you. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Not the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.